Really nice to see all of you guys. What a great day, isn't it? I'm just really happy to be here worshiping with all of you. If you're here for the first time, let me add my welcome. Really glad you're here. And just tell you something about this church family. I have found this to be just an awesome place for me and my family to put down deep roots and grow spiritually. And I'll tell you, if you're newer here, just keep coming. I think you're going to find the same thing for yourself. This is just an awesome place. We've got a great future ahead of us. It's just a few weeks that we're going to be in our new building at 1332 Fizey. You can drive by there and see all the construction. It is looking so awesome on the outside. even looks better on the inside. Now, I want to tell you this. I need to add this little caveat. We're going to be in there in a few weeks. Lord willing, and the creek don't rise. (laughs) There's a few things that are out of our control. We don't control the fire marshal. There's things that you seriously, if you care about getting out of here, as nice as this place has been, but if you want to get into the building, just put it on your, if you're a person who prays, pray about this, even pray daily, just that the Lord would be moving that, making it possible for us to get in there quickly, and that we'll just be thinking about who it is that we can invite, who can be a part of what's going going on here connection in that building. So glad you're here. Let me ask you a question. What is it about us human beings in general that we do not like to ask for help, admit that anything is wrong or that we need some assistance? Have you noticed that about yourself? I'll be honest. It's something I've always known about myself. I haven't admitted it, of course. (laughs) I frequently need help, but I won't say it because I just don't want to do that. And you know that about yourself maybe too. I'm trying to get better at that, but I'll give you a classic case in point. Second grade. I was in my second grade classroom, and I still remember it was about this time of year because I was looking out the window, and it was overcast. It was getting close to Thanksgiving, and we were working on a project in the afternoon. The classroom was a little bit warm, I thought, but I was loving what I was doing. That was like one of my favorite years with one of my favorite teachers, and at some point in the middle of my project, even though it was feeling kind of warm, I didn't think anything of it. My teacher said, Brian, are you feeling okay? Yeah, I'm feeling fine. Well, your face is kind of red. Maybe you should go see the nurse. No, I'm fine. Now, when she brought it up, I realized, yeah, I don't think I do feel very good. But I wasn't going to admit it to her. I liked her. I liked the class. I liked the project we were doing. So I was not going to admit it. I just kept working. But I was starting to sense, I'm not just hot. I feel sick. A few minutes later, one of my friends threw me under the bus. Mrs. Grider, Brian's face is green. And... Mrs. Greider looked at me and said, oh, Brian, you don't look good. Go to the nurse right now. And I wasn't at this point going to argue with her because I agreed. Oh, yeah, I don't feel good. You know that feeling about a minute before you throw up? I'm sorry to bring it to your mind, but that's what I was feeling. You get that feeling and you get started the saliva. Oh, I just, I'm having flashbacks right now. And I'm going, I'll go to the nurse because I was realizing I'm going to throw up. Where it happens, it's going to happen. So I'm out the door. I'm making my way to the nurse's station. All of a sudden I realize I'm not going to make it. So I instead, plan B, I'm going to go to the men's bathroom, the boys' bathroom, and I'm just going to take care of what needs to be taken care of. No joke. I was this close to the door of the bathroom when another teacher stepped out in the hall. And at the same time, I'm realizing, oh, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up. And it's kind of rising. And the teacher steps out in the hall and she looks at me and says, Brian, are you okay? In hindsight, I should have just immediately gone ahead and gone into the bathroom. She would have understood three seconds later. But no, Brian Fakes was taught to be polite and always speak when spoken to. And it would have been rude to not answer her. And so I did. I opened my mouth to say, I'm sick. And I didn't say it. I illustrated it. It was all slow motion. I can still see it today. She had a look of concern on her face. And I can see it in slow motion changing to a look of horror. I can see the the puke coming out. And it, it hit the floor. And it went out in a V. 
it hit those asbestos tiles that they used in the schools. Right? Oh my God. And oh, it gets better. And this is an absolutely true story. The moment I went, the bell rang. And all the classes, all the kids start coming out into the hallway. And there's no denying who did it because the V is pointing right to me. And the teacher's standing there in shock. And she, like, she trundles me into the bathroom, in the boys' bathroom. I get cleaned up. I come out, and I'm hoping all the kids are gone. No, they're all still standing there looking. And the custodian's got that sawdust that smells like bananas, and he's putting it on there. And oh, Why didn't I just admit the first time, I'm not so good. I do need help. I'd better go to the... But you've seen that about your own life, I'm sure. You can tell stories. What is it about us that, that just, it seems like depending on ourselves is our default setting. I don't want to admit that I need help. I don't want to admit I'm lost. I don't want to admit that I've got some problems going on. I don't, what is that? Is that, is it pride? Is it embarrassment? Is it shame? Is it just, it didn't go well the last time I asked for help? Whatever it is, there's just something about human beings, and you know this is true. There's something about us that assumes, I'll figure it out eventually. I'm not going to bother anybody else. I mean, it'll work out eventually. It'll be fine. I'm certainly not going to admit that I've got any flaws or weaknesses or need help. Do you know who John Hamm is? St. Louis native. He's uh, the guy from Mad Men. He recently went through a stint in rehab for alcohol addiction, and he was giving an interview this summer about it. I just really like what he said. Uh, Very, very the opposite of just, oh, I'm fine. He said this, I'm certainly damaged. There's no denying it. And he goes on, he says, when your mom dies when you're nine and your dad dies when you're 20, and then you live on couches in other people's basements, well, it's going to affect you. And then he said this, We live in a world where to admit anything negative about yourself is seen as a weakness when it's actually a strength. It is not a weak move to say, I need help. In the long run, it's way better because you have to fix it. I love that. I don't know if he's a Christian or not, but I love that attitude that says it's not a weakness to admit that you need help. I was talking to a friend several years ago, uh, kind of anonymizing this story, but you don't know them, so. But I was talking to them, and the conversation kind of came around to church, and, and I said something like, you know, you guys ought to come to our church sometime. You guys would really like it. And it wasn't weird or awkward. We were that kind of friends, and, and it was, you know, just something that I said. And they're like, yeah, and they really thought about it. But he was like, yeah, I know some people who need your church. But I'm not one of them. There's actually some people in my family who ought to go to your church, but I'm good. I got this thing with God. Um, I'm a good person. I do lots of good things. I'm pretty religious. Me and God, we're okay. Now, you should be inviting some of these other people, pointing to family members, and they're like, whatever. You know. And I'm looking at him. I'm being polite. We're still friends. But I'm thinking to myself, I know you. I know your family. And just to be honest with you, I'm thinking this in my head. You're not all right. Like You have at least three dysfunctions going on that I know about. You definitely need God in your life more than anybody else that you're pointing to. You know, I think it's probably a fair statement about all of us. If we were all to be honest at a core of who we are, we need God in our lives. And it's, it's not a weak thing to admit that. And wherever you are on your spiritual journey, I'm really glad you ended up here this morning, or I'm glad that you're listening to this podcast, because... This is what we talk about. Even if you don't even agree with what I talk about, even if you think, I just don't know if I can go that far with you on that, at least I want you to think about and consider, like Sandy said, what if it is true? Do you want the things about God to be true? 
What if it was? What kind of implication would that have in your life if you just acted as if it were true and started doing some of the things that the Bible suggests you ought to do as you seek out God and as you try to follow Jesus? So we're in this series called Come Thirsty. It's based on a book by Max Lucado by that title. And what we're doing is we're looking at the the metaphor that goes over and over into the, in the Bible, it talks about how our souls need God like our bodies need water. And, and you'll find this when you start looking for it all through the Bible. And what, it is, what this series is about is just trying to tap into and maybe even pay attention to that spiritual thirst that all of us have in our souls for God. Everybody's thirsty for something, and God's the only one who can quench that thirst. In fact, there is a great uh, picture in the Old Testament of the Bible. It was written by King David. David, probably one of the greatest leaders in world history, certainly the greatest king in Israel's history. Before he was king, he was a songwriter, and he was a shepherd on his dad's farm in Bethlehem. And he had a lot of time on his hands taking care of the sheep out in the pastures. And so he would write songs to God. One of them is in the Bible. It's Psalm 42. Just listen to this word picture that David paints. He says, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? Which It's just a cool picture describing that thirst that we all have, that need, that whether we acknowledge it or not, that it exists. And what we've been looking at as we started this series last week is what water can do for your body, Jesus can do for your soul. If, if you will choose to accept his leadership in your life. But as long as we allow that thirst to go unnoticed, as long as we ignore it or push it to the side or assume that it'll get better later or assume we'll figure it out eventually, we're not going to find the help that we could find. We're going to suffer for it. There's going to be evidence of that thirst in our life and that lack of God in our life. So I just want to go ahead and as uh, we continue this teaching time this morning, whether you agree with me or not, or just I want you to think about it as we look at what does it look like when you invite God into your life and let him start addressing some of the things that you thought you could handle on your own. So if you got one of these... Or if you've got a Bible app on your phone, I would invite you to find a writing that's in the New Testament of the Bible. It's Ephesians, and that's E-P-H. And um, if you've never done this before, if you've got a smartphone, you can download the Bible app for free. And then you can look like a rock star Bible scholar. You can just go, look, I've got it. <laughs> you can beat everybody to it. We'll also have these uh, scriptures on the screen. So if you just you didn't bring one of these and you don't have a you know the Bible app, whatever, you can just still follow along on there. What we're going to do is we're going to go through Ephesians chapter two, just a set of verses here. You think, well, why is this in the Bible? This was originally a letter that was written by a Christian leader named Paul, and he started churches all over the Roman Empire. And he wrote a letter to a church in the city of Ephesus, in which is now known as Turkey. And this was a very well-educated, wealthy city, great church there. And he writes a teaching letter. And the reason it's in the Bible is because the things that he taught here don't just apply to people 2,000 years ago in one church. They really apply to every Christian. And so we're going to start looking down in chapter 2. I'm going to actually not read it out of this translation. I'm going to read out of the New Living Translation. Just the first three verses, and then keep it open, because we're going to go back through it and look at some of the things that we read there. As I'm reading this, I just want you to think about this filter. What is it that sin does to a person's life? Like when you ignore God. So let's go ahead and just read this. uh, Verses one through three. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Now you used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He's the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way, following the passionate desires and the, the inclinations of our sinful nature. 
By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger, just like everybody else. Okay, let's pause there. And I want, again, I want to consider what is it that sin does to a person's soul? When you sin is just deliberately disobeying something God has explicitly said, do this or don't do that. And when you disobey that, you're sinning. What does that do to a person? Well, I will say this. Every single thing that you think is wrong with the world, everything that we think is wrong with people, is explained right here in these verses. You can take everything from uh, Harvey Weinstein, Kevin Spacey, Stephen Paddock, the guy who shot up Las Vegas, the, the church shooter down in Texas. Just, you, fill in, find anything you think is wrong with the world, and you can find its cause right here in these verses. Everything that's imaginably wrong and arguably wrong, it's right there. So let's go back through and just pick out some of the key thoughts from the verses. For one thing, who is it that fallen sinful people are listening to? Ultimately, it says you're listening to Satan, right? We might say, well, no, I'm just, I'm listening to my heart. I'm trusting my gut. I'm just going with my instincts. I'm doing what feels right. I mean, if it feels good, do it. You just ultimately behind all of those statements, first of all, it's, it's me. I've got it figured out. I know what's best for me. But behind that is Satan. Now, Jesus said that the work of, of Satan is to destroy the work of God. If you just, you can look to your left and right if you want right now. You are looking at the work of God right around you. Every single one of us have been created in the image of God. And this, the stated goal of Satan is to, to take out the work of God. You and me. If he can convince us to trust ourselves, to trust our God, to not trust God, he's destroying your life. Jesus said Satan's a thief and he's a murderer and he's a liar and he's been that way since the beginning. He's irredeemable. And he tried to overthrow God and that didn't work out really well for him. So he does the next best thing. He goes after the image of God. And so every time you hear something in your head saying, I think I should do this, and it goes contrary to what the Bible says, behind that is Satan trying to prompt you to do something that will just destroy your soul. I love what Max Lucado said. This is from that book that I was talking about, Come Thirsty. He said, sin sees the world with no God in it. The sinful mind dismisses God. His counsel goes unconsulted, his opinion unsolicited, his plan unconsidered. The sin-infected grant God the same respect middle schoolers give a substitute teacher. Acknowledged, but not taken seriously. Sin teaches us to be self-centered, not God-centered. I know what's best for me. I'll figure it out myself. I've got it. I've got it covered. And so what happens when we disobey God? It literally kills our relationship with God. It destroys our relationship with each other. You think, like, how could somebody like Kevin Spacey do what he did? There's sin at work in his heart. And I'm not judging him. Every one of us have sin in our hearts that causes us to do stupid things. This is what happens when we introduce sin into the world and into our lives. Max Lucado again, he says, sin for a season quenches your thirst. It, you know, it's enjoyable. If it wasn't, people wouldn't do it. But so does salt water. Given time, the thirst returns more demanding and demanding more than ever. And we pay a high price for self-obsession. When you extract God, you can expect earthly chaos. And many times worse, you can expect eternal misery, which is the greatest tragedy of all. That when you separate yourself from God, all you can expect is an eternity without God. People say, why, why does God send people to hell? I don't know that God sends people to hell. It's just the natural, logical outcome of somebody who says, I don't want God in my life. Hell is the place where God is not. Hell is the place where you get to do exactly what you want to do. And you are the boss of yourself. And that's what it is. 
And so I, I know the, the question that comes up a lot is, well, why does God have to punish people? Why does he have to send them to hell? Why can't he just let them do what they want to do? Which is a great question. I guess so let me ask it a different way. How much sin would you be comfortable with God allowing into heaven? You know, just kind of God just lets people do what they do. He has like a little corner where you can, like, you don't want to acknowledge God, but you can still be here. Well, maybe this metaphor might help you see some things. If you were in an accident and you had to go to the ER and you had to get an emergency blood transfusion, how comfortable with, would you be with the staff saying to you, we're going to have to put three quarts into you? And that's a lot of blood, right? I don't know, was it, three pints? But they were to say to you, like, we're going to have to give you a transfusion, and we're pretty sure this blood is clean. We're pretty sure there's no HIV. We're pretty sure there's no hepatitis. In fact, the person who donated it had West Nile virus, but they were saying, yeah, I think I'm over it. Would you be comfortable getting a transfusion with that? I wouldn't be like, I want 100% purity. If you're going to put somebody else's blood in my body, right? How much sin can God allow into heaven and it still be okay? I'm going to go with 0%. And here's why I say that. You want to know what heaven would be like if God allowed sin into it? Just look at the world around you. You're already living it. God created a perfect world, right? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, had an entirely perfect setup. Everything was amazing. It was awesome. And then they disobeyed God. And every single thing you can think of that's wrong with the world today, it all traces back to their first decision. God said, don't do this. And they did it anyway. And we've all been doing the same thing. So we can't point our fingers at them. But that's what happens when you allow sin into perfection. It ruins everything. And the only way to get rid of the sin is to get rid of the sinners. Which then I think, well, what are you going to do about that? If God can't allow sin into heaven and sinners are the one who brings sin with them, well, God could probably destroy sinners, right? Or God could teach us to not sin. And that's what God wants to go to. God wants to, first of all, say, I'm going to forgive your sins. And second of all, I'm going to make you into a person who doesn't even want to sin anymore. But here's the thing about that. You can't do that yourself any more than you can perform open heart surgery on yourself. I'd like to see you try. (laughs) You can't. And you can't fix what's wrong with you. Only God can do that. So uh, anybody here play Monopoly? Yeah. What's one of the good cards to get in Monopoly? Get out of jail free, right? Except my sister's here. I'm going to have to be honest because my sister is here. My family, we've learned that if we want our family to stay together and healthy, we should probably not play Monopoly because we're... (laughs) I don't want the get out of jail free card when my sister has taken Boardwalk and Park Place and put hotels on it. I just want to sit in jail and not pay rent. But but normally that's a pretty good card to get, right? But how well would it work if you tried to play a get out of jail free card in real life? A guy in Minnesota actually tried it this summer. I think this is hilarious. Some police officers pulled him over because they ran the plates on his car, and they're like, ooh, this car belongs to somebody who's got a warrant out on them, and he's not wearing a seatbelt. Let's check this out. Turns out this guy has a warrant out for his arrest, and they go to arrest him, and he pulls out his wallet. He says, I've got something I think might change your mind. He pulls out a get-out-of-jail-free card and hands it to the officer. Thank you to the officers. They posted on social media later. I think, yeah, we've got it up here. And they, here's what they said. Deputy Vi arrested a gentleman this weekend on an outstanding warrant. He carried this Monopoly card just in case. A for effort. We appreciate the humor. You're still going to jail. <laughs> right? I, here's the sad thing. I think there might have been a little part of that guy who thought, this just might work. Okay? I'm not pointing any fingers. I'm not trying to make you feel bad, but I know a whole lot of people because I've talked to them and they've said this explicitly. 
They have this imaginary scenario where they're going to stand before God because we are all going to stand before Jesus one day when he comes back to earth. We're all going to stand for him before him and account for what we have done with our life. And I think some people have a scenario created in their mind where they're going to whip out a get out of jail free card. They've got this whole thing where they're going to say to God, here's why I'm okay. And here's all the good things that I've done. And you know, the only place that that's going to work is in their imagination. And I feel really scared for somebody who thinks that's actually going to work. Because here's the thing. You can't take care of all the things that you've done wrong in your life. There is not enough time. There are not enough good things you can do to outweigh the bad things you've done. It just won't work. Thankfully, you don't have to. When, what you can't do for yourself, God has already done for you. And I want to go back to Ephesians, and I want to look further on down, verses 4 through 7. Let's go ahead and keep reading there if you've got your Bible open. God is so rich in mercy. That he, and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. For he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we're united with Christ Jesus. So, I love this picture. God can point to us in all the future ages as examples of the incredible wealth of his grace and kindness toward us as shown in all he has done for us who are united with Christ Jesus. You know, we paid attention to what sin does to our lives. We ought to also pay attention to what Jesus does for us when we commit to him and allow him to be leader of our lives. We just put up a few things that I saw in these verses here. We've got some bullet points here. For one thing, it says that God, through Jesus, brings us back to life. And that is not just poetic language, and that's not just pretty imagery. That is literal. When Jesus returns to the earth, there will be a resurrection, and everybody will be raised back to life in a real physical body, in a real physical place. That's going to happen. It also says that God gives us a place in the heavenly realm with Christ. We actually belong to God's family. We're adopted into his family. We are united with Christ. And this last one, I just love this picture. God makes us examples of his, his grace and his kindness and his mercy. I like how Max Lucado says that. We become billboards of God's mercy. And God can point to that billboard and say, look at that life. I did that. I just love that. There is nothing in my life, even on my best day, that merits how well God has treated me. I love all of you, but there's nothing in your life that deserves how well God's treated you either. Just be honest with you. You know, there, you should just think about how much goodness and grace and mercy God's shown in your life and get goosebumps. Somebody got to agree with me, shake your head or something. There is nothing that I have ever done that deserves how nicely and graciously God has treated me. And it's just an amazing thing to think that God said, not only will I forgive your sins, I want you to be in my family. I want you to be here every day and we're going to eat together. We're going to share life together. I want to be able to point to you, Brian Fakes, and say, look at the kind of thing I do. I take somebody like Brian Fakes and I make him like this. Did he deserve it? Absolutely not. But look how gracious and kind. I'm happy to serve as an illustration of what God does. Like, I hope that people go, well, if God can do that with fakes, he can do it with anybody. (laughs) I'm happy to serve it. Michael Horton says this. He's talking about the gospel. And I don't know, whenever you hear gospel, I don't know what pops in your head, but what should pop into your head is good news, because that's literally what the word gospel means. Good news. Hey, I got some great news for you. So anybody says gospel, you should just go, great news. Michael Horton says the gospel isn't follow Jesus' example. And the gospel is not transform your life. And the gospel is not how to raise godly children. The gospel is the good news. The great news is Jesus Christ came to save sinners, even bad parents, even lousy followers of Jesus, which we all are even on our best days. 
I love it that Jesus can take the mess of my life. He can take the mess of your life and all the things you've done wrong and the things you wish you'd done differently and all the regrets you've piled up. And God says, I can change that for you if you'll let me. I can make you another billboard of my mercy if you'll let me. Or a hundred years ago, probably more, there were a group of fishermen in a Scottish inn one night. They were telling stories and eating. And as one of the fishermen was telling a story about it, the fish was this big. As he swung his arm out, a waitress was walking by with a tray with a teapot on it. And he swung his arm out and he hit the teapot and it smashed it off of the tray and up against a plaster wall, a white plaster wall. And it went crash. And now there's this ugly brown splotch on the plaster wall. And the owner came out to see what was going on. And he looked at it and he went that's going to have to be painted. One of the guys at the table said, maybe not. Give me a second. And he went back to his room and he came back with a box of art supplies and he opened it up and first he took out some pencils and he started sketching around the splotch on the wall and then he took out some paints and he just started painting something and it was just kind of uh, starting to take shape and, and the guys and all the other patrons in the restaurant in the inn were just, wow, because what emerged was a stag with these antlers. You know who the guy was? May not mean anything to you. His name was Sir Edwin Landseer. Name might not mean anything to you, but you've seen his art before. I think we got an example. This is not what he did at the end, but this is an example of the kind of stuff he does. You've seen it everywhere. An ugly splotch on the wall with Sir Edwin Landseer's talent applied to it became a beautiful piece of art that the, the owner of that inn would never paint over because it had his name signed right there at the bottom. And you look at your life and you may be deeply ashamed or feel great regret or incredible guilt over some things. And that's just the human experience. But when God gets to work in your life and you just let him, you don't even have to know what to do any more than you have to tell your body what to do. When you start drinking water, God will get to work in your life. And I guarantee you, if you let him, your life will be an illustration of what God can do with anybody. And you are not the exception to that. You are not the one person that God's going to go, I really don't know what to do with you. I'm sorry. (laughs) He knows. He's incredibly wise and incredibly loving. And nothing you've ever done has caught him off guard. It hasn't surprised him. He doesn't think, wow, I'm stumped about what to do with your problem. You just have to come to him and ask. If you are thirsty this morning and you just don't even realize it, and maybe God's trying to get your attention You need to come to God and just open yourself up to Jesus and maybe even just imagine what would it be like. And for some of you, you've done this. You've been a Christian for a while and you've drifted away and you're like, I don't know if I can come back. I mean, there's got to be something where God goes, yeah, you've crossed the line too many times. It doesn't work like that. You just need to, to accept him and come back to him. And if you are a Christian, just repent. Come back to him and repent and say, I'm sorry and I'm going to try better and God will teach you. And God's for you. He's not against you. Let me go ahead and read a verse just to conclude this out. The last couple of verses that I want to read out of Ephesians. It says this, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It's a gift from God. You can't earn it. It's not by works so that nobody can boast. None of us on our best days can do enough to earn God's favor, but you don't have to. I said this last week and I'll say it again. You can be standing knee deep in Merrimack Springs in that wonderful water and you can still die of thirst because unless you reach down 
and drink of the water, it's never going to get in you. It's never going to help you. And you can be here at Connection for 15 years, but unless you submit to Jesus and say, you will be Lord of my life and I will follow your leadership and you can forgive my sins, you're standing knee deep in beautiful water. But unless you take that into your life, it will never help you and God will never be able to help you. He will not force you to accept him. But he's holding his hand out. Today you can accept that and say yes to that and drink deeply from the well that that will never get dry.